Welcome to the Spoiler Alert Podcast, and today it is Christmas. Happy Holidays. And Happy you know it's a great Christmas movie? Die Hard. But you know it's another great Christmas movie? Die Hard 2. This is the Spoiler Alert Podcast. I'm Nate. This is Dakota. And what were your uh, first impressions on Die Hard 2, Dakota? It's a really good sequel. You wouldn't know it by its like subtitle, which usually gets cut out of promotional materials. Die Harder. Um, it, no, it, it's a really solid sequel. Um, yeah, Die Hard's kind of weird in that way. Like I, I'm trying to think of any other like franchise that consist is pretty consistently good. I mean, you know, in terms of its sequels, uh, like with a vengeance, I think is almost as good as the first Die Hard. I know that's not maybe the most popular. But I have no idea why. Like I, I, I think I with love with vengeance, vengeance is better than Die Hard Two, to be honest. I do too, but um, I mean, I yeah, it's not quite the first Die Hard, but it's a I I just love it as its own thing. I mean, it's, I think it's a really solid sequel. But um, you know, and and Live Free or Die Hard is you know it's okay. It's not bad. It just you know um maybe a, inching a little closer to mediocrity than a good day to die hard was just shit so you know there's a clear like yeah it just fell at 90 fucking degrees with with good day to die hard but um die hard too though i i really like and i think i was maybe a bit too critical it's not nearly as good as the first die hard yeah but it's actually a really solid sequel i think it's a good movie on its own um i guess to really quickly just get the general complaints out of the way it's Maybe in some ways it's too similar to the first movie. I mean, which that's always the, the tough balance, you know, giving the audience more of what they like. But, you know, but just by virtue of doing the same thing twice, you know, uh, it's always going to be a bit diluted, you know, because I mean, it's it's never it's like it's like the first bite out of a burger or something, you know, like the, the next one's probably never going to be as good. So you kind of have to top it. It has to be better in some way. And I don't know if Die Hard 2 really is. You know, that's kind of the problem of sequels. But you do want to give people more. You don't want to switch things up too much. You know, and I think Die Hard 2 is probably a pretty good example of how you do that. You give them more of the same. You don't change it up too much. The other complaint would be contrivances. Um, there are too many people showing up in the same place at the same time. And the movie does kind of acknowledge it a bit, but acknowledging it isn't quite the same as, you know, working out that problem in the writing, you know? So, um, but there is, I, I think, probably a famous line where, you know, like we're uh, later in the film where uh, in Die Hard 2, where he's like, you know, the clay near the wrong man in the wrong place at the wrong time. He's like, story of my life, you know? I think that's kind of a problem that a lot of franchises run into. It's like, what are the odds of the same? We talked about it with Alien. Like, what are the odds of the same thing happening to the same character over and over and over, you know, before the illusions kind of shattered? You kind of feel that a bit with even Die Hard 2. Like, what are the odds that McLean would find himself in this position? And uh, again, those are, I guess, my general complaints. Other than that, though, it, it's, I think, a really solid action film. I definitely liked Die Hard 2. I think, like, Die Hard with Vengeance is partially better because they do change the formula, the formula a little bit. Like, it becomes more of a mind game. Yeah, um, I, I think they're good to watch. I, I like as far as like how you do a sequel. Like Die Hard Two is an example of how you give the audience more of the same. Die Hard with a Vengeance is how you kind of switch things up, but still retain, you know, yeah. the basic elements. I just always think that secondary option there is like the best one. You can take it too far really easily, you know, and that's the thing. And then like I think people feel really betrayed, and they're like, "What the fuck are you doing?" You know some risks do definitely pan out, you know, I, a lot of them do. And, and then you have something great on your hands, but 
but you do have people that just come in, they don't fundamentally understand it and they just kind of just come in and wipe their ass with it and then walk away, you know? Well, like the guy who did a good day to die hard and single-handedly tanked the whole franchise at the very end, you know, up until that point, the, the franchise had a pretty solid record, you know? And he didn't get it. He just made a shitty action movie like any of his others. It's indistinguishable. The editing's horrible. The, you know, it's just, it's just crap, you know? So I don't know what exactly the solution is. Some balance, I mean, in a perfect world between more of the same, but just new enough, see into the distance and stretch that out perfectly. But studios are very short-sighted, so that never happens. It's, you know, um, they don't really play the long game with their franchises, you know? It's just, this one's going to be bigger, better, bigger explosions. And, you know, that's it if it doesn't, like, I mean, because, yeah, I think uh, with A Vengeance, didn't do as well as Die Hard 2. And then there's that huge hiatus between that and Live Free or Die Hard, because it made less than Die Hard 2, but it cost more to make. So, and then we didn't get another Die Hard till like 2007 with Live Free or Die Hard, so. I'd like to encourage everybody to hit the like button, subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, follow on Spotify. If you're listening on Spotify, follow us on YouTube and anywhere else where podcasts are found applies as well. Um, So the film begins with John McClane getting his car towed by this asshole cop in DC. The very next scene is this like like super cop ninja looking guy uh practicing his practicing like karate moves basically yeah, he's going all like apocalypse now in front of him he's like ass naked and yeah I don't, yes. but less naked, drunk naked in but, front of a mirror doing kind of some yoga pose and kind of fighting looking stuff i don't know juju you i don't know i don't watch ufc well i you know i'm not one of those people i could like tell you i know krav maga um but he's doing some shit. I don't know the names. I, I wouldn't, I don't know the form or anything like that, but, but yeah. Um, I, but, oh yeah. And, that, and then the actor, I recognize him. Um, I don't know his name, but I know he, like Frank Darabont casts him. Uh, all the, yeah, like, his name is actually William Sadler. Well, so Darabont likes him. I mean, but I'll, I'll trust that. And then another establishing scene we get right away is that John McClane's wife, Holly, is on an airplane and also happens to be on the same airplane with the same newsman from Die Hard, uh, Thornburg. Right, so it'd probably be, again, kind of the first contrivance, like what are the odds, and, you know, so um, there's a lot of that in this movie. I mean, I guess, you know. And, kind and of there's just... a lot of weird messages about the media is like one of the bigger themes in this movie, as it seems, and it was. Yeah, I mean, it probably was in Die Hard 1, and it I was a little bit I of thought that I remember. It was a little bit well, kind of yeah i mean well with the thornburg character and just kind of sensationalist media and, and you know whatever yeah. uh i think i think they lean into that a bit more but i think it's just part of the diehard dna it's almost become like a running gag to like like the video game series mass effect like throughout all three games you can punch a reporter in the face like that's an option it's like this kind of like inside joke <laughs> like you could so that's kind of the diehard thing here is like in the first one he gets punched and the second he gets tased I don't think they pick up the media thing with uh, with a vengeance, but and kind of like you said, mixed messages. I thought they're going to be a bit more charitable to the the media from memory, but they're really not till the very end where she yeah. kind of has her yeah yeah. But there's um, like one newswoman that he was kind of decent to. Not really. But... I mean, it starts off with like "fuck you" in the elevator, right? And I the mean, thing so is, too, it, is like 
But it's it is kind of weird though, because like apparently like he had like a nightline or dateline basically like oh, interview. So he was he was soaking up the limelight a little bit, McLean. You just kind of right. being a dick to local reporters, even though that one is a pretty big asshole. Okay, so in that scene, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but that's where I thought like they've both been kicked out of the same room for seeing two, you know, that the people running the show are completely incompetent, right? And it's like, shut the fuck up, get out of here. They're both being shuffled into the elevator together. And that should have been like a bonding moment. Like, oh, wait, maybe you're not so bad. We're both trying to kind of do the same thing in a way. And instead it's like, no, fuck you. You know, it's like, and he, he climbs out of the elevator through the, the uh, vent or whatever. And I just thought, yeah, that was maybe a moment to, to, to show that there are some good reporters or something. And they don't really do that anywhere through the movie until you get that final scene at the end, you know, where she, she's like, oh, we don't need to film this. This is a, you know, a, a husband wife moment. And I don't know. So um, I just felt they could have been a bit more nuanced or something, you know, and switch things up a bit and, you know, and offer a contrast, right? Because you have, you have the asshole in the sky, but then you have the reporter down on the ground and it almost seems redundant to have two of them who are both assholes, right? Just, um, and then randomly the movie just decides at the end that like, well, you know, she's not that bad, like, but I, but there's really nothing building to that. Also, it's, it's noted early on in the airplane scene that the old lady next to Holly has a taser in her bag in her bag yeah and she's talking about how great technology is because holly's calling john on a cell phone you know big fucking well technically 90 this is 1990 i think that this came out but yeah so like but there's a, a technology would be another theme is what i was trying to say um throughout the film so mm-hmm. um and i think with having the old woman you know it's like their way of it's not even an age gap you know being sort of a luddite because john just kind of chooses to not really try to adapt to newer technologies like i i don't know that there's anything really deep there but it is a theme in the movie so he's old school you know classical and yeah and then down on the ground there's a suspicious looking crew of people of like sanitation people or something plumbers going into an old church and then they shoot the caretaker there so that's suspicious and we figure out that's where they set the headquarters and then McLean uh, sees a very suspicious, like, baggage transfer and suspicious-looking dudes walking through the airport and decides to follow them a little bit until a, a different cop stops him from doing so. And then yeah. that's when he, when we first see the newswoman. And she's walking by and sees Sadler's character, who, we re- who is revealed that Sadler's character is named uh, Colonel Stewart. So the newswoman inter- tries to interview Sadler and Sadler like brushes her, brushes her off. And then McLean follows them, Sadler and his like suspicious crew of people follows them into like the conveyor belt room where they have a bunch of luggage going every which way. Uh, McLean almost arrests two of them but then they shoot and run and then it becomes a big chase. And then that chase climaxes in a scene that's like temple of doom where uh, they're going up the conveyor belt and he like, Oh yeah. Shoves his head in a roller. And then he even starts flapping just like he does in temple of doom. 
And then the newsman from the first movie, Thornburg, he is on the plane and he apparently has a restraining order against Holly because Holly punched him, I think, at the end of the first movie. And then, yeah, because he had endangered their children through his sensationalist. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or I was, I remember explaining that that was like literally against the law, <laughs> right? But, I don't know. They really do kind of paint the press in, in a bad light here, which uh, the press press is got its problems for sure. Sometimes it's well, more of a punching bag than I think it deserves, but sometimes there's important press people, but there's also people like this guy. Yeah, I mean, but I think this is coming out at the time where where we start. Like, obviously, I didn't live for it, but but from what I understand, this is kind of like the the transition into sensationalist car chase news, you know, probably happening around the 80s, yeah, around the 90s. Yeah, it's kind of a response probably, to they, that. I think they had like cops because they were like, because it's like, you know, like the drug war continuing, you know what I mean? Like is yeah. part of it too, where like crime went up and like, just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying the drug war thing because of like basically money put into police force. You know what I mean? Because right. like in the 60s, we had a war going on, you know? So that's where the media flocked. It flocked to the war. And then that went into the 70s. And then in the 80s, it was a crime war. So basically police were the number one influence for like the 80s into the early 90s, you know? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Oh, yeah, and that's definitely the theme of this, this movie though. Because I mean, you have some like South American despot or whatever, who's also like a cartel leader or something like, I don't know. So, um, so there's drug money floating around. I, I think it's kind of the premise of, of, of this one. Uh, but, and obviously that, that just yeah, it kind of evokes really everything that the eighties were about. And then I think it wasn't really till the nineties that you, you started to have movies come out that were a bit more skeptical. Yeah. It's to kind of be the preoccupation of like early nineties action movies you know, was kind of taking a more cynical look at the guns blazing kind of attitude of a lot of 80s action movies, you know. Even like the style of movie that would come out that it's like a Quentin Tarantino movie and came in the 90s, which is like, you know, Quentin Tarantino to be the first one to tell you he loves like a cheesy action movie, you know, or a campy action movie. But at the same time, like, like he wanted to do things different, you know, differently, you know what I mean? Like just the way things change all the time is what, you know, it just one style kind of just almost sort of decides what the next style is going to be sometimes. I feel conflicted saying it because it contradicts what I usually say that like something defined by being the opposite of something usually kind of just withers away, right? I mean, because like if your whole if, if the whole identity of something is it, like, okay, yes, like like the Straw Dogs remake was that just shit. And however you feel about Peckinpah's original and obviously a very controversial movie for understandable reasons, like people being upset by that movie, but the, the remake defined itself solely by undermining everything that made the original Straw Dogs, Straw Dogs. I guess what I was gonna say is like, I mean, um, Tarantino, I think, I mean, was probably a response to the 80s movies. You talk about this a lot, where, where like people are just being gunned down. There's no sanctity of human life in the 80s action movies. Like they're just props to be shot down. And then I think you had like something like Reservoir Dogs come out, where it's like, I'm gonna fucking die here. Yeah, no, you 
yeah. like it's, it's there's no dignity there it's it's you know it's very humid it's it's being shot really sucks um yeah. you know if people are scared and there's you know yeah so that's I mean, why i've always kind of felt that like i like the way tarantino does violence because it's either it's either pretty damn realistic or sensationalist so if you go over the I, right. i'm okay with going over the top with gore as as well as being accurate both both of those options i like more than like underdoing it and then we get a cut to colonel stewart he like forgives like one of his soldiers that like for like letting john mcclain get away and he's like sure but the next time you do it uh he puts a gun to his head and pulls the trigger uh, he's like, but the next time uh, it's going to be loaded or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. He controls with fear and everything, uh, I guess. But, but like, it's kind of mixed messages, right? Because like he comes back, he's like, well, the mission was a success, but we lost a man. And he's like, well, it doesn't matter as long as the mission was a success. So you think all would be well and fine. But then he pulls the gun on him anyway. Like the next time you fail, like you just said it was a fucking success. Like, like make it so this is a guy who doesn't value his men. And so the loss of one doesn't matter. So, okay, mission successful, right? Because that's the only thing that went wrong was the guy died. But I guess that doesn't, he doesn't care about that. So why are you threatening this dude? With, I mean, was, there's not going to be anybody left at this rate. Like right. if this is the way he does shit. <laughs> and then this officer Lorenzo is the, like the second in command, I believe at the airport. Uh, he's played by the same guy that plays like the character in NYPD Blue, I think. He doesn't want to shut down the airport, even though McLean is asking him to. It's kind of wild in a post 9-11 America, how like the cops are like lackadaisical at an airport when there's like clear threats. Yeah, that's a that's the thing that's so funny, though. Like if you look back on all of these like thrillers, it's like, well, because I mean, planes are being hijacked all the time. Half the Tom Clancy novels is like Rainbow Six. I can remember specifically plane hijacking like they did happen. They just didn't fly them into fucking buildings, which it didn't end up happening like that. It was always just like we have everybody on the plane. Give us money and safe landing and shit and we'll let everybody go, you know, and then just I mean, so yeah, it's something that happened all the time. But I mean, regularly, it just for some reason blew our minds when somebody finally weaponized the plane, you know, like, so, and that was 9-11. I mean, yeah, it's just crazy to think how, like, lackadaisical you could be when you could go from having, like, 50 hostages to a 1,000 hostages, you know, basically, yeah. like, if you're a threat to run into a building. John McClane takes the guy who he rolled through the belt, the belt conveyor belt thing. Uh, he takes his fingerprints, faxes yeah. them over to Al Powell from Die Hard, the first one. Uh, so that's 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 a nice callback. Um, I well, kind of wish I, I, Powell was in uh, more of it, but I I also see how that's not possible because they're in DC. I thought I remembered him being like kind of playing a support role through the film and he doesn't he just has that kind of one scene um i like that though because if i remember we talked about at the end of the first die hard um i think that i felt a little weird that he was sort of vindicated by picking up his gun at the end of the film and the idea was that like he would go back to the streets and i like that die hard too kind of disregards that like 
he quits while he's ahead. He killed a kid, but he's sort of vindicated by picking up his gun and using it to save lives. But he quits and he, he still stays behind his desk. Could he could he used a little more of him, to be honest. But he's still being useful behind a desk, which I like. So it's showing, I mean, because, you know, he's playing this, a similar role to, to what he did in the first Die Hard, a support it, it, role. It's more than a cameo, less than a support. But it's less role. than... Like it, it's a single scene, point. but yeah, I yeah, I th- I wish there was more of Al, like you said. I thought there was, and there isn't. So and now the bad guys are getting something set up. We don't quite know what, but they're they're fucking with shit. The newswoman tries to speak with McLean, but he kind of brushes her off, but isn't as nasty to a, to her as like he is other press people. She's also not super nasty towards him. We just uh, say fuck off to her later in the elevator. So again. Yeah, it's just not quite as toxic as the other ones, which which is interesting. It's a friendly apparently fuck he was off on like lady. a nightline episode or something. So I don't know. Um Yeah, who was who is it that said Lorenzo was like, you know, I saw you on Night Live and you know you weren't yeah, so like, hot, you've been right? soaking it up, you douche. Right. So, so. which which he kind of had a point about. Um, yeah, that's interesting that you point that out. I mean, he, I guess he didn't have to show, right? So, you know. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe McLean's just like a kind of an asshole. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because you have the, the woman who does the facts, is like I said, you know, hitting on him and whatever. And so, but he does, he's like, I'm married. And, you know, so he does the right thing. But yeah, I think he enjoys it. He is basking a bit. But it's, I don't think it's compromising him from doing the right thing ultimately, you know. And then McLean finally convinces like the head the head captain guy of like so lorenzo's boss he convinces the captain that uh these fingerprints are from like this sketchy dude that's been officially dead for three years so he's probably some kind yeah, of yeah fighting person. dirty wars in honduras or something you know so so he finally convinces the captain and just as he does that the runway shuts down all the lights in the runways go down and they lose communication with their planes because they cut like a bunch of power sources and a bunch of communication towers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then that lead terrorist talk calls and this is Colonel Stewart and he kind of explains everything that's going on that they have all communication and they can forge any comp- or any kind of like any kind of communication they want. And eventually the airplanes are going to run out of fuel, which I'm like, there's got to be a nearer airport that they could all just land on. Well, no, but, but maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Cause it's like, cause I remember somebody talks to John McClane's like, you know, your wife's plane's going to go down in 90 minutes. I'm like, well, this is a fucking, you're right. Like 90 minutes is probably enough time to get to another runway, you know? Yeah. Yeah, shit. Maybe that isn't quite as rock solid um, now that I think yeah. about it. So then Lorenzo kicks McLean and the newswoman out of the control room, sends him down on an elevator. That's when he sneaks up through the elevator and is like, oh, I've done this before. And then yeah. when they opened up the doors, McLean was gone and, you know, he didn't have to deal with the security right. guards. Um, <laughs> the plot is, <laughs> I suppose we should get this out of the way. There is a South American despot um, funding himself through drug uh, cartel stuff. Anyway, like he's fighting actually against communism, uh, the the spread of communism in South America. 
So then you have a bunch of American special forces soldiers who have retired or gone mercenary who believe that the United States is not taking enough of a hardline stance against the spread of communism in South America, which is probably what they were fighting against throughout the 80s, you know, given the kind of track record of, yeah, so, and then you have this current spec ops unit that used to fight alongside or train under these rogue guys, which, you know, makes a sort of sense to recruit those guys because they'd probably be the best equipped to fight the other guys. One of the tower workers, the character's name is Leslie Barnes. He is running through with a team of soldiers and stuff trying to get a generator or get the power or get the communications going somehow but yeah i think it's a communications tower but basically i think i can't remember but mclean sees that on the way through like he's looking at a map and on the way it bottlenecks and it's perfect setup for an ambush and then robert patrick the t-1000 from terminator 2 yeah all those people were under the command of major grant he's got the mercenaries that you were just explaining there was that line later on where mclean's like you because he's like grant's like i taught him everything he knows and mclean's like well yeah but maybe he's picked up some new tricks in the interim you know and uh yeah um i would think there'd almost be a conflict of interest there that, that that might be a bit suspect because these guys were all under your command at one point but at the same time who better to take them down than the guy yeah. that was their commander so mclean saves the airport official who is Leslie Barnes. Another shootout ensues. We won't explain it in great detail because it's kind of, it's an it's a good action scene. Um, yeah. He topples over a construction stand and it lands directly on the guy's neck. Yeah, some like scaffolding. Yeah, that looks pretty gruesome, you know, but um, yeah, so that dude's fucking dead. And then the generator blows up. Like, so that's what you know, Stuart and Grant had planned. Yeah, I suppose they're spoiling it by saying that they're working in collusion because that's yeah, you kind of pick it up end. though. Yeah, I I kind of suspected. It's been a while since I've seen this movie all the way through, but I picked it up. I um, yeah, I didn't pick it up till about halfway through, and I was like, oh yeah, doesn't he betray? And then I started to remember some things. So so it's not yeah, I guess I I can't be objective there because obviously I've seen the movie before. I can't tell you how surprising that was or wasn't. So, and then up in the air, Thornburg is listening on a radio and finds that frequency with like all of the, you know, the threats and whatnot. And yeah, so he gets onto the air traffic thing and is listening. And then Stuart tells a plane that it can land and they adjust the readings by 200 feet. So everything's off by 200 feet when they're thinking about altitude because they're landing blind so they have to know that so they're basically fucked and then the plane crashes and everyone dies and mclean i think at least momentarily thinks it could have been molly's plane or holly's plane but i don't think it was that i think it was just yeah actually i wanted to say like i really appreciate that because like he, he well that's a scene that you you have in the background it's like um and 
No, he actually weeps. I mean, it's like, and that's kind of, I'm glad that it wasn't just an explosion for this movie, you know, like, uh, no, he's, he was really trying to save these people. And like, yeah, you have like probably what, I mean, you know, uh, uh, quite a substantial loss of human life right there. And so he does start like sobbing. I thought that was really, again, it's one of those things about Die Hard that I think kind of separates it from uh, its ilk of the time, you know? That like he reacts in quite a human way to the the situation, you know. Uh, yeah, I don't think he thought it was Holly's plane. I think he just thought, you know, that a bunch of people are going to die, and I'm going to try to stop it by waiting. You know, and it just didn't work. So. And then this part is when the platoon comes back into the fold and is like, "All right, we're taking over shit now." That platoon yeah. is led by Major Grant, who you explained had like dealings with Stuart in the past and were kind of allies of Stuart like he taught Stuart stuff uh, everything he knows like you said and they rewire a beacon to be a radio signal instead so Barnes explains to everybody in the like in all the airplanes all the airplanes of the situation and that like to keep circling but that's when I would be like uh Tell them to radio in for a different airport or something. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. If they can um, even reach one at that point, because I mean, a lot of yeah, times. You are running out of time which... at that point. Cause I think, it, I think, right. I think at that point they were about 30 minutes or so. Or right. And they're on like their away. emergency fuel and shit. So I think that was the terrorist plan. Cause that comes up repeatedly in the first half is that John McClain keeps catching on to like, okay, they were just trying to waste our time. So that by the time, so I, I think with the planes in the air at this point, maybe they could have gotten somewhere else, but by now, no, like landing on the strip is really their only hope. I don't know. That's never actually explained. So I don't mean to make excuses for the movie. I don't know how plausible it is, is or isn't, but maybe that's the idea, you know? Yeah. So. And then the political prisoner, the guy that you were referring to, that's like big head guy with a cartel. He kills a guard and then ends up killing. It was pilot. nice enough to light his cigar, which was in his inner pocket. I guess they didn't search him. I mean, see, no good deed goes unpunished. Uh, you know, but, um, but he kills yeah. kills the guard and the pilot, and then tries to land the plane. He's getting directions from uh, Stewart, and like because like they're calling in, and he's like, I I can barely do this. He's not. He doesn't seem like the best pilot. When he lands, he almost kills McLean because McLean is getting up through this like, uh, what would he call it? Like almost like sewage cap, but yeah, uh, fuck, uh, manhole like, kind of, but it's not. You know, it's like some kind of grating that he. So he yeah, almost gets cut in half by that, and then rolls out, rolls away from that just in time. John then tries to capture the general out of the plane, but then bad guys show up and start shooting him up, and he has mm-hmm. to like hide in the plane, hide in the cockpit of the plane. And then they get the prisoner out and then they start throwing grenades into the cockpit. I was going to say, I, I do know you do have some time with, with grenades. Um, I forget the exact amount, but it does feel like he gets a few extra seconds it to strap to be, himself in. I think it tends to be five to six seconds is what it's supposed to be. And I mean, um, obviously you do want to start lobbing those back, but it's, it's, he hears them say three grenades for each, each man. And they throw them all in. I'm like, that might be a lot of chucking, you know. Like so, um, 
I yeah, but anyway, uh, it's one of actually the, definitely the standout scenes in the film, though. Yeah, he he straps himself into the 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 and hits the ejection launch, and right as it blows up, it's a it's a really awesome scene. I mean, definitely, yeah, one of the standouts of the picture. I think the action gets a lot better after the halfway mark. Like there are a lot of standout scenes um, in the second half. So, but yeah, yeah that's definitely that, one. That's of one of the most famous scenes. And then Holly becomes suspicious of what the new of what the newspaper guy Thornburg is is doing. Uh, so we see that briefly in the in the air. I was thinking the whole subplot with Holly in Die Hard Two. I mean, it, you know, she's likable and it's fun to follow her, um, you know, and and everything. But um, it's kind of ultimately pointless. Other than, I mean, she really only serves as a threat to McClay. I mean, in terms of like his wife might be killed. And that raises the stakes. Not a big deal, but I'm going to point it out. So it makes sense. And then he's sneaking up on a bunch of the bad guys that are hanging out in that church. And they know he gets the platoon to come for backup. But it turns out that the platoon is firing blanks. And so are the bad guys because they're all in cahoots with each other. They switch their right. magazines from red to blue. Red means live rounds blue means blanks it, it looks like a close firefight and a scary firefight to john mcclain for a little bit yeah i was yeah. also wondering somewhere in that snowmobile fight like i mean that that those the, that windshield was taking a lot of damage it looked like they're actually shooting on though i'm like i'm pretty sure that windshield's not gonna you know resist bullets one other minor complaint was like when they're all speeding off in their snowmobiles one dude McLean's like shooting at him, you know, and one dude stops to like look. I mean, just keep going. Um, yeah, so I don't know. That was kind of a convenient thing for the plot. And then Thornburg calls the news station from the air and breaks the news. And now the news is all over the place. Um, oh, yeah, because he's intercepted the communications between the, the, you know, they're messaging the planes like here's what's up there's been a terrorist and that situation. has kind of caused yeah. chaos in the airport because now everyone's freaking out even though they had had they had people calm but now everyone's yeah. freaking out which is a side effect that could happen earlier in the film they said they wanted to keep everybody calm and so you know thorn thorn sorry thornberg fucks that up by you know uh breaking the news to that of what's going on and then lorenzo <laughs> And okay, this scene is kind of extreme. Um, John McClane goes up to Lorenzo to kind of explain that the platoon is against everybody by showing the, the, the thing about the blanks. And he does it by shooting an entire round of blanks at him. Yeah, Which, it's, it's it's obviously it's deeply satisfying because at this point that's what the audience wants to see because Lorenzo's like one of the most I mean, he's dick so bags. incompetent that he could exist, but on the fringes of like, I mean, he's the most wildly incompetent person ever running the show. So anyway, um, so yeah, the audience might get a sick satisfaction out of that, but I was thinking you're in the middle of a police station. Any number of dudes could take you down right now with claim from your little demonstration, you know? So yeah. Um, because, yeah, he just, he holds that trigger down for, like, you know, it feels like a solid five fucking seconds, you know? That is a weird scene that's, like, definitely funny, but definitely, like, 
on the fun dumb action movie side of things um right <laughs> um it, it it isn't dumb though it's it's pretty smart compared to uh, at least some action movies yeah that's yeah it's 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 still but it does move closer to Schwarzenegger territory, but it still keeps the diehard DNA by yeah. being realistic when it comes. So yeah, um, and, then, and then up in the air, Thornburg, they break the bathroom door open, and then Holly tases him, and he looks dead because his eyes are open and he's just not moving. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happens when you get stunned. Does that? I mean, do you just catch? Turns him out blink? he's not dead, but. Um, he, he looks like well, he nice almost, Holly just killed a man. Holy shit. I mean, <laughs> um, you know, uh, and then Lorenzo and McLean get into a car to drive, drive after the airplane. Cause, so now Lorenzo's actually being competent for the first time. Yeah. And then I, way but, too like, late in the car with him decent. is Vito, the first cop that was fucking with John. So that's like a joke. Right. And oh then, yeah. I mean, I was going to say, though, if you're going to redeem Lorenzo, I mean, the point to do that was midway. And I think that happens with the guy. Yeah, he's not him. redeemed. He's just less of a dick toward the end. Yeah, because the guy above him, once that plane comes down, goes, okay, shit's real. And Lorenzo, almost to the bitter end, is the most incompetent fucking shit heel of all time. But he has a single moment at the end of the film and i yeah i don't know if that's supposed to redeem him i i can't say it did in my book but no. uh but he's at least on board now finally at the fucking end so now the although i think they get into a traffic jam so it doesn't even matter if i remember like he crashes his car doesn't he yeah uh he crashes it through a fence or something I... yeah and then like he gets swarmed by like reporters and shit so it doesn't even matter lorenzo's useless any fucking way <laughs> right as he's about <laughs> to become useful Oh yeah, he gets on a helicopter. Okay, that's right. I yeah, forgot with the, the, with the news lady. I think it, I think it's a news helicopter. The terrorists are taking off, and then Holly's airplane has to land like right at the same time. Like it's all very close to each other, and yeah, he uses a helicopter to land on top of the plane, and then on he's the wing, hanging out yeah. on a wing and tries to fuck with the fuel area and kind of opens that up for a second he fights with uh major grant and that doesn't end up well for grant because grant goes into the propellers he, and out the see, other everything side we different. brought i can make loose connections to everything we've every tangent we've been on it's like raiders he goes into the propellers see it's yeah totally so the Temple of Doom tangent means it something. It is very, I, <laughs> guess, um, I guess it is very, um, <laughs> it is very uh, Indiana Jones a little bit. Before that though, he's just like, it's a shame, McLean. I liked, I started, was starting to like you. And he's like, I've got enough friends. I think the idea of that was like, there are way more characters in Die Hard 2 that McLean's, McLean kind of buddy buddies with, you know, like you have Marv and the janitor. You have, there's a lot of characters. Um, so- Al was enough. Al was enough. I think so too. I think it's almost too many in this one, but but um, I think that was the the idea of that line because otherwise it's like I don't know what I think of it. But um, yeah, so he ends up in the propellers. Then uh, uh, Sadler comes out with a big fucking like Bowie knife, and they get in a fight, and McLean kind of loses that fight, but he's dangling off the wing and rips the fuel open and gets yeah. knocked off the plane. And then right, so it's like leaking along the runway. 
exactly and then he like he's he's on the runway they're taking off and just before they take off says he takes a lighter lights it says yippee motherfucker throws it and then a big fire trail follows it all the way up to the wing yeah. and it explodes and the bad guys die I gotta say, it's my favorite Yippie Kaye motherfucker of the franchise. I, uh, it, it is better um, than the original Yippie Kaye motherfucker. It's you're right. It that's the best Yippie Kaye motherfucker. It I think so. Is. Yeah, I mean, well, you'll live for your diehard. Actually, had a kind of a good one where he shoots himself through the. But no, this is this is the best Yippie Kaye. So I think and diehard too. And that fire strip actually makes a great landing site for the planes, which yeah. I don't know how they clean up the wreckage so quick and i also don't know how they can because it's still a big thing like airplanes take a while just to get off the runway you know right so it's still like a big thing like they can't all like just start landing one after another i I, know where they're going but i don't know right i I'll they're desperate. The yeah, I thought that too. I'm like, I don't think they could just back to back to back start landing like that. Um, I mean, but um, but it makes a sort of sense. I mean, the landing strip be kind of being highlighted. They're desperate. They're out of fuel. But yeah, back to back like that. I don't know. I mean, you kind of. I would think you'd almost have to start using your own judgment as far as getting out of other people's way really fucking quickly because mm-hmm. everybody else is landing behind you. I don't know. But yeah, and then the runway is obviously obstructed by the fucking, well, at least two planes now that have blown up. So like you said, I mean, that's kind of a problem, but we'll roll with it, you know? So um, it's, um, I mean, it's, it, it looks awesome. And then, <laughs> and then he's, he's yelling for Holly. Uh, Holly's okay. Everything's good. And it's kind it, of like and- the end scene of the first Die Hard. Cause doesn't he do that? Isn't he like walk? He's like, Holly, you know, when he's like, all wounded like and, and he's trying to yeah and then, so I think they're and then just like the first movie they remind you at the very end that hey this is a christmas movie people and that's the end so yeah, I mean, the, yeah you start to embrace holly you have the news reporter woman covering it up like let them have their moment uh holly says why does this keep happening to us john you know because it's again it's kind of highlighting what are the odds of this but yeah, so I, place in society, I mean, I guess you could kind of make it comparable to the first Die Hard, except for like just, you know, now it's just kind of more of like a brick on the wall rather than like, like the first Die Hard kind of broke a few like kind of like bar- barriers and set some mo- friends. Yeah. This one did seem a little bit of a copycat of not only itself, but also other movies, which isn't always a bad thing, but like... It's, it just doesn't stand out quite as much as the first one. Or the yeah, I feel one. like my criticism, though, is because we have Die Hard 1. Like, I guess if Die Hard yes. 1 did not exist and I watched this, I think I'd view it a lot more favorably, you yes. know? So it's a very solid sequel, but it is not Die Hard 1. The villains aren't really as good in this one. Being personalities, they're not as memorable. I mean... yeah. Um, I guess what I was going to say is as far as the extremity of what they're doing, it's actually, it's more than the first Die Hard. Like this dude drops a plane out of the sky as a slap on the wrist. Basically, you know, like Hans might've shot a hostage and his plan was to kill all the hostages and drop the building on them at the end of the first Die Hard, you know, but there's like 30 people. Like this guy brings a, a fucking plane out of the sky and that's just as a warning. So he's bigger 
in that way, but he's not as memorable as Hans. He doesn't have like the charisma that that uh, Alan Rickman, you know, brought to the character. And so, so he's a, a lot more forgettable. The villains are in this one. Eh. I think they corrected that with um, with Avengers by bringing in. I mean, who better to bring in than Jeremy Irons as a follow up to Alan Rickman? So mm-hmm. they corrected, course corrected for that one. I think. Uh, before we get into ratings, what are some recommendations you have, Dakota? Clear and present danger, but that's kind of that's more. Of, I'd, I'd say that. like Air Force One and then Indiana Jones. We, the 90s became a lot more like their thrillers started to move to, more towards what you saw in the early 2000s, which was like the Bourne trilogy, you know, like you had Ronin and, and that was in the late 90s. I'm trying to think about the early 90s was kind of maybe a bit of an identity crisis. I think every, everything was kind of taking notes from Die Hard, maybe trying to be a bit more than the typical Schwarzenegger fair of the 80s, you know, so but yeah, I can't really think, I mean, I don't know Clear and Present Danger just because I like the movie, but it's not, it's very different. Uh, I, it's probably not a great recommendation. Uh, the other Die Hard movies, you know, that's, I mean, uh, they're, they're really all good except for a, a Good Day to Die Hard. And then, all right, so out of five stars, Dakota, what rank rating are you going to give Die Hard to 1990? Shit, sorry. I, I yeah, like so. I, I remember my original rating was three point five, but I I I think it's a it's a four um, for okay. me because I think I gave Die Hard one a five last time, right? So I that's think a five. Gave it a five, a and I think I gave it a four or four and a half. I give Die Hard Die Hard two three and a half, mainly that's okay. because it's the best Yippie Kaye motherfucker. <laughs> the airport thing is is like a very wider threat that actually seems like not out of the question. You know what I mean? Like so many times it's like a hero's got to save the fucking world. (laughs) There are a lot of things that like just aren't as good or like are rehashed and, you know, just a little cheesy and whatnot, but like more. I mean, there was a lethal weapon series going alongside this and I I can't remember a lot of those. One thing I noticed is in the grandma's purse is a is a magazine with a lethal weapon on the cover. Is it okay? So we're like, I guess Die Hard and Lethal Weapon were probably competing at the time, you know, sort of. I read kind of like a fun fact that was like uh, I think what was it? It's like I think Die Hard 3's script was going to be used for Lethal Weapon 4, but then it became Die Hard 3. So so and the very last thing is this is technically our first episode of our new, new season year. of season yes. two we're one year into doing this and it's been great right so we would appreciate continued support from everyone that gives us shit so hit the like button subscribe if you're watching on YouTube, check out on the podcasts, wherever podcasts are found on Apple or Google or Spotify. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, if you're listening on one of those, check out our YouTube because we have some visual aids and some cool stuff on the YouTube channel. Uh, yeah. With that, I'm Nate. This is Dakota with the Spoiler Alert podcast. Happy holidays, everybody. <laughs>